Thank you, Pastor Nick. Well, once again, good evening to each one of you. Usually when someone says good evening, you say good evening as well. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> it's, we're all serious here. <laughs> well, I do hope that you indeed have had a good day. Well, what I want to talk to you about tonight is I want to ask you a question. And that question is, what are you living for? What are you living for? Depending on who you ask, each person may have a different answer. They may say that they're living for their husband or their wife, for their children, for their job, for their career, for their passion, for their desire. It really depends on who you ask, where they are in their life, what their priorities are. Most people have the mentality that life is short, which it is, and so you want to enjoy each day, which you should. But when it comes to what you are living for, it's important that we look at what our priority in life truly is. And for each one of us, that can be something different. And through this message tonight, I want you to seriously consider that question as we go through and think of what is it that I, what is it that you are living for? Well, in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul makes it clear of what it is that he's living for. In Philippians chapter 3, starting from verse 7, and he makes that clear. And if you are able to, would you stand with me as I read God's word? Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, and it is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for this evening. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come into your house and to truly worship you. And this evening, Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us tonight. And Lord, we pray that you would challenge us and that you would help us to be obedient as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, thank you. Feel free to be seated. 
In this context here, the Apostle Paul was talking about not having confidence in the flesh, but rather having confidence in Christ and in Christ alone. You see, the Apostle Paul understood that although the world had so much to offer, which it does, it doesn't have anything compared to what he found in Jesus Christ. And although the world has so much to offer us, when we truly experience Jesus Christ, we will understand the fact that nothing in this world can compare to him. The Apostle Paul knew what it was that he was living for. It wasn't for family, it wasn't for friends, it wasn't for fame or for money or for career, it wasn't for any other reason except for Christ. That was who he was living for, Christ alone. In verse 7 he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that I had, everything that I used to hold dear, everything that I once looked at and thought was so important, I now consider it loss. I now consider it not important anymore for the sake of of Christ. He goes on to say, but what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You see, in this world, there is a lot to offer us, each one of us. And the thing is that God wants us to enjoy the fullness that he has given us. He wants us to enjoy all of the things that are around us. But for us not to lose sight of what it truly is that we're looking for. What it truly is that we're living for. What it truly is that our priority is and should be. And the Apostle Paul got it. He understood because he encountered Christ in such a real and passionate way that that he wanted him, he longed for him, he hungered him, he had a desire to know him more and more. And what he's saying here is that compared to everything else in this world, I just want Christ. I just want Jesus. I just want to know him. I just want to have a relationship with him. There's nothing else as important as that. Can we say that of ourselves as well? You see, we're each on different spiritual journeys, different places on our spiritual journeys. Some of us are further along. Some of, some of us may have just started. Maybe you haven't even started that journey yet. But when you truly experience Jesus, when you truly have an encounter with him, it's like nothing you've ever experienced you see, when we look in the Bible, we see people who have truly experienced the power of God. We have seen people in the scriptures that have experienced God's firsthand healing in their lives. We have seen people whose lives have been renewed and touched and healed and people who have been raised from the dead. People have been healed of their sickness. People whose lives were made new because of Jesus it's important that we get it, that everything else will fade away in this life eventually, but Jesus will remain. 
He wants us to have that deep desire. Paul had that desire in verse 10 when he says, I want to know him. It's not just, I want to know a little bit about him. I want to know what he's all about. That's not what he's saying. When I read this, I I feel that urge that Paul felt when he says, I want to know him. I don't want to just know a little bit about him. I just don't want to know just a couple of his characteristics, but I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Jesus in and out. I want to experience him. And when we truly know someone, they don't even have to say anything for us to know what they mean, right? It's like when I was a child and my brothers and I would misbehave, my mom would give us the look. It was the look. She didn't have to say anything. Maybe some of you got the look as well from your parents. And I just knew I better stop because when I go home, oh boy, you got the look because I knew her. I knew what she was all about. I knew what she was thinking. I knew what she wanted and expected of me. When Paul talks about knowing Christ, he's talking about knowing him in such a deep and powerful and intimate way. He's talking about understanding Understanding when God speaks, you know that it's God. It's understanding that when God moves you, you know that God is moving you. It's understanding who He is and the love that He has for us. It's a deep yearning and desire that gets us up every morning, that gets us on our knees, that makes us open our Bible and turn off the TV, that causes us to sit at His feet and to listen to Him. When we truly want to know Christ, when we truly have that hunger and desire for more and more of him, it will move us into a deeper and more committed relationship with him. You see, we all have the same amount of time in a day, but it depends on how we spend that time. And in this society, it's so busy Everyone is so constantly busy. You ask someone how they're doing, oh, I'm good, just so busy. And I'm guilty of that as well. But what are we busy doing? Are we busy with the right things? Or are we busy with things that are less important? You see, our relationship with Christ needs to be a priority. And when we say that we're busy, Yes, you may be busy, and and that's understandable with work and family and school and different commitments you have, but what is your priority? What are you busy with? You see, when Christ is the center of our lives, when he is the most important thing, then we will make sure that we put him as the center. We will make sure that we spend time with him, and then if there's any time left, that we'll do all the other things, like watch those TV shows, or go out with those friends, or talk on the phone, or do all of those other things that are less important. It comes down to our priorities and what are we living for. In verse 11, he says, well, finishing verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then he goes on in verse 11 to say, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Verse 11 in the New Living Translation says, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. 
What is Paul saying here? What is it that he means? Well, what he's saying is, is that I will live again one day, that there is hope, there is life beyond the grave. You see, this life here on earth is temporary. And whether we're blessed with five years or 25 years, with 65 years or 105 years, whatever amount of time God has given us, however amount of time we have on this earth, it is temporary compared to eternity. And what Paul is saying is that although this is it here on earth, there is hope beyond the grave. A lot of people forget that reality. A lot of people are only concerned with the here and the now and living my life and making sure I'm satisfied and making sure I'm comfortable and making sure everything works out for me so that I can retire and I can travel and I can do all of that. And that's good. And that's important. But that should not be the only thing that we are focused on. We need to have a bigger vision. We need to have a bigger understanding. We need to see bigger the fact that there is an eternity out there that we are called for. There is an eternity that God wants us with him forever and ever. And Paul is saying that I will experience that resurrection one day. Can you say that you will experience that resurrection one day? You see, that hope and that promise is for each and every one of us. It's not just for some, but it is for all. And the Bible is clear that God sent his son into this world. He died so that we could live. He died so that we could have hope. And it's so simple. He says that if we believe in our heart and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved it's simple. You see, it's not by works that anyone can say and do and boast in, but it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we have that eternity, that we have that gift of life, that we have that forgiveness of sins. It's not by anything that you can do or I can do. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our way to heaven. Each one of us one day will die. Where will we go? And it doesn't matter how old we are. doesn't matter how much money we have. doesn't matter how good our health is or how poorly our health is. None of these things in life matter when it comes down to it. The most important decision that we can make is following Jesus. That is the most important decision. Candidates who are going to be baptized, you are making a very big decision. You are publicly saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. There's no turning back. You are publicly saying that tonight, and I commend you. It is a special moment. It is a special decision that you are making and that you are saying that, Jesus, you are Lord. You are first priority, and I want to publicly say that. Wonderful decision that you have made. Paul understood that death one day is a reality, and for each one of us, it is a reality. Somehow, one day, we will experience it. But he's saying that he will obtain the resurrection from the dead. 
that he will not stay in that grave, but he will be raised and he will be with his Lord forever and ever. In verse 12 and onward, he goes on to say, not that I have already obtained all of this. I haven't already obtained all of this. or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, in this life, there is a goal. In this life, there is a finish line. And if we look at this life like a race, we can see that there is a finish line. However, the life that we live is not a race, but rather, I like to think of it as a marathon. Because the goal is not to finish first. The goal is to finish That is the goal that we have. It doesn't matter how fast we go or how slow we go. It doesn't matter that the fact that there are going to be times where we're running our hardest and there's going to be times where we're panting for breath and we're just walking along slow. But the point is that we finish. We finish. And what he's saying is, I press on toward that goal. I press on. Why is it that we have to press on? It's because the reality is that this life is not easy. There are going to be a lot of trials. You have experienced trials. You have experienced tribulation. You have experienced dry periods in your faith. You have experienced all of those things. And unfortunately, that is a reality. But what he's saying is, I press on toward that goal. Not that I have already reached it, because I haven't. Not that we have already obtained that, because we haven't. But the point is that we continue to go that we continue to strive, that we continue to press on, not in our own strength, but in his. Not in our own understanding, but in his. Not in our own, but in his. That we continue to look to Christ and press on toward that goal. You see, if we go in our own strength, we will fail. If we go in our own understanding, it won't make sense. If we go on our own, we will not get there. But with him, he will help us. It says, I press on toward that goal. I press on toward that goal because I want to finish. And if you've ever watched a race... If you've ever watched a race, you see how the runners, they run, and if they have the baton, if it's a relay race, they will give the baton. But one thing that you don't see or you would hardly see is that someone gets the baton and they're running, but they stop and they look back. They don't stop and look back and see, am I, for, am I far ahead? Am I behind? What's going on? They just keep going. Why? Because when you stop and you look back, you start to stumble. It slows you down, and the goal is not to continue to look back, but to press on toward what is ahead, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. That is the goal. And you see, in this world, we will constantly be challenged to look back, 
to look back at our past. And the devil is good at reminding us of that. The devil is good at reminding us of what we used to be like or the mistakes that we made before or the, the life we used to live or the friends we used to keep or all of the mistakes that were in the past that Christ has already dealt with and forgiven us of. The world will constantly remind us to look back but our job is not to look back, but to strain toward what is ahead. A few months ago, I was getting in my car, and honestly, I don't remember what happened, but somehow in getting in my car with my stuff, I knocked out my rearview mirror. <laughs> I don't know what happened, okay. So I knocked out my rearview mirror, and so I didn't have a rearview mirror to look at when I was driving. And so, you know, at first you're, you're constantly looking up and there's no mirror. And so you start to have to look around you more and actually have to turn to look back when you're changing lanes, when you're reversing, all of those different things. And so, you know, after a few times of driving, I started getting used to it. You know, not having a mirror wasn't a big deal, wasn't in a rush to go pay and fix it, you know. It was okay. So I was driving without a rear view mirror. I had it in the seat next to me, but just wasn't on. So in case the police stopped me, you know, just wasn't attached to where it should be. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's not important to have a mirror. You need to have a mirror. But what I'm saying is it caused me not to look back as much. Not having that mirror there, because you constantly are glancing up, looking at the person behind you, seeing what they're doing, and you know, all the, what's going on. It caused me only to actually look back when I needed to. It caused me only to look back when I had to look back. And you see, in life, we will constantly be reminded to look back, look back, look back. we constantly reminded. But Christ is saying, I've already dealt with that. There's no need to look back unless you're learning from it and moving forward. We don't need to look back because we're not going that way anymore. We don't need to look back because that's not our life anymore. We don't need to look back because Christ has already forgiven us of that. He says, look ahead. Learn what you need to learn and move on. Learn what you need to learn and move on. We need to constantly look ahead. If we keep looking back, we're going to get depressed. We're going to get stuck in the past, and we're going to keep living in the past when that is not what he wants us to do. You know, recently in my life, and I shared this a little bit in the last message that I preached on a Sunday morning, God has really been challenging me personally to consider why I do what I do, to consider why I spend money on the things I spend money on, or why I spend time on the things that I spend time on, or why I invest or put effort into certain things. What are you living for? That is constantly a challenge that he's been placing on my heart and speaking to me about and whatnot. And I feel like it's such an important question for us to consider because the life that we live now determines our eternity. The decisions that we make right now determine where we will spend our eternity. You see, in this life, everything that we do will bring one of two things. 
They will either bring regret or they will bring reward. Everything that we do, you consider your money. And I know for me personally that there have been things that I've wasted money on, right? <laughs> that looking back, I think it's just sitting on a shelf. It, it was given away to Goodwill. It was thrown in the garbage. It, there, it didn't serve a purpose in my life. And I'm sure if you're real and honest, you will say, there are certain things that you have bought or that you've invested in that just weren't good financial decisions, right? If we're honest, we all have made those mistakes. What are we spending our money on? What are we investing in? Are we investing in something that's going to sit on a shelf? Are we investing in something that will only last temporarily and then be thrown into the garbage? Are we investing in something that we will never use but may be nice to look at? Or are we investing on something for eternity? Are we investing on something that will last for eternity? And you see, when we talk about investing in eternal things, that's investing people. Because I'm not going to take anything with me to heaven. I'm not going to take any of my material possessions to heaven. And you're not either. That's the reality. But what we will take and what we hope to take are our family and our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors and all of the people that we share life with. And by doing that, we can invest in the kingdom of God and teaching them and preaching and reaching them. And the only way to do that is to invest in the work of the church, to invest in God's kingdom. And we each have a responsibility to do that. And in your local church, wherever you are, you have the responsibility to do that, to invest in your local church. And if you're part of this church, you have that responsibility and you have that privilege. And I say that it's not just something you have to do, but it truly is a privilege for one day when I stand before God, I can truly say, yes, I've made financial decisions that weren't so wise, but one thing that I did do is I invested in your kingdom. That's one thing I can say. We have the joy and the privilege to invest in God's kingdom financially as well, to keep the work of the church going, to keep his message proclaimed, to keep Christ where he belongs, to keep him at the center of our lives. What about your time? How are you spending your time? What are you investing your time in? Are you investing it in only selfish things that bring pleasure to you, that please you when you go home after work? Is it just watching TV or just hanging out with friends? Or are you investing in God's kingdom? Are you investing in volunteering in ministry? Are you investing in going and, and, and doing what nobody else wants to do? Are you investing in the lives of God? God's people Amen. comes down to what are we living for? What are we living for? This evening, when I was in my office there just going over my notes, I received a message from Brother Freddie. He doesn't know I'm going to say this, but as I was reading this message, it was one of those things, you know, that people will send you poems or jokes or, or whatnot, one of these things to think about. And I started laughing 
because it came under exactly what I was thinking, and it says this, isn't it strange? Isn't it strange how $50 seems like such a large amount when you have to give it in the offering, but such a small amount when you go shopping? Isn't it strange how two hours seems like such a long time to sit in church for? You look at your watch and you wonder, is Swish LA still going to be busy? (laughs) Isn't it strange how two hours in church seems like such a long time when you're in church, but such a short time when you're out having fun with your friends? Isn't that strange? What are we investing in? What are we spending our time and our money and our effort on? Paul says, I'm living my life for Christ. I'm living my life for Christ. I'm going to spend my life, I'm going to spend my time, I'm going to spend my energy invested in him, and I consider everything a loss compared to what I find in him. And he's saying, I'm not going to forget about all the things around me, but I'm straining toward what is ahead. And I want to challenge you. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what it is that you're going through or that you've gone through, no matter what surrounds you, no matter what's happening, strain and press toward what is ahead. Press on through life's challenges. Press on through all of life's difficulties. Continue on knowing that there is a prize in heaven waiting for us. He says that there is a prize awaiting for us. That prize is the gift of eternal life. That prize is the gift of heaven that is in store for each and every believer. And one day when we come face to face with Christ, we will receive that. What are you living for? Something that is so near and dear to my heart is the reality, and you hear me talk about this often, but I talk about it because I want you to get it. And I so desperately want our world to understand how truly short and fleeting life itself is. You turn on the news, you turn on the radio, and death is a reality all around us. It is a reality. Countries all of a sudden experiencing earthquakes or tsunamis or natural disasters. People getting hit down by traffic as they cross the street. People in car accidents. People in plane crashes. All around us, death is a reality. And it's not to scare us, but it's to instill the reality of how serious life is how serious this life is. And you see, when we leave this earth, that's it. When this life is over and we breathe our last breath, that's it. There is no second chance. This is it. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you asked him to come into your life to forgive you of your sins? Have you acknowledged that he is Lord of your life? Have you repented and have you said, Lord, I choose you? If you haven't, I challenge you to consider doing that. 
There's a secular song that says, and, and uh, you know, secular songs have their, their place, but this line in this song is so profound where it says, you don't get another chance. Life is not a Nintendo game. Think about that. Nintendo games, you, you mess up and the person dies, the character, and you can start over. You can press restart or play again. Life's not like that. Once it's over, it's over. We get one chance. But isn't it wonderful to know that on that one chance, he forgives us, he makes us new, and God gives us a hope that nothing else compares to. It's wonderful to know that we can live this life and live it well, that we can live in the abundance that he died to give us. Jesus Christ died so that we may live and live abundantly. He died so that we can experience the blessings that come from him. What are you living for? Because if it's not for him, what is it for? Our desire should be in our lives to bring glory to his name in all that we do. Let us pray. Father, indeed, we thank you. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Father, for his longing and his desire to know you more. And we pray that indeed, God, you would help us in our lives, that you would challenge us, that you would instill in us an urgency and a yearning to know you more, to have the type of relationship, Lord, with you that moves us, oh God, out of our own selfish ambitions and moves us, Lord, to concentrate and to focus and to invest on kingdom things. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you, O oh God, that nothing in this world compares to what we have in the promise of your son, Jesus. And we thank you, O oh God, that because you live, we can face today and tomorrow and the future with the assurance that you are with us. And so, Lord, we press on. We press on through all of life's trials. We press on through all of the ups and downs in life, and we press on knowing, oh God, that there is an eternal award, a reward waiting for us in heaven one day where we will live with you where time will be no more. And so, God, we say thank you. We thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to bring honor and glory to your name each and every day through our lives, through our actions, through our words, through everything that we do. May you continue to challenge us and to help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.